morning and welcome. Thank you for being with us. We've had one of those mornings filled with all sorts of fun technical difficulties. Can y'all hear me? There we go. All right. Uh, if we have a couple of mishaps, it's because we had to make a couple of last minute adjustments uh, as a result of the weather. So what we've done, and, and these guys are so good at doing things on the fly, they've moved some camera angles and some speaker angles because we realized that a lot of our folks would be in vehicles outside as opposed to braving the weather. And yet, I'm so excited for those of you that are freezing out here with me. It's a lot of fun. Like we're, It's a bonding experience as we gather in this sort of winter wonderland of a Sunday morning. If you have your Bible, I'm going to be preaching this morning from Genesis chapter 50. As uh, those of you who are a part of our church are aware, can y'all hear me? Is this my pack cutting out? Hold on. Is that better? Check, check. We good? All right. All right. If that doesn't work, we'll go to this handheld mic, all prosperity preacher style. Um, listen, uh, we have been working through the Bible together as a church. Uh, and so um, this past week, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I'll have to go back and see what y'all were reading. I'm reading ahead of y'all. Uh, but this, uh, this morning, uh, if you already did your Bible reading, you should have read Genesis 30 and 31. What I'm doing is I'm preaching forward every single week. So uh, my preaching will be aimed at what you'll be reading in the coming week. So uh, this week, if you'll look in your bulletin there, uh, the Bible reading guide is made available for you. If you don't have one of those little blue guides that we printed out, the Bible reading guide is available in your bulletin. We'll try and do that every week just to help you keep up. Listen, if you have fallen behind, I don't want you to, to feel all guilty and beat yourself up. Just, just jump right back in and let's keep moving forward. But for those of you that have kept up uh, today, you'll be reading Genesis 30 through 31. And you'll actually be reading, uh, finishing up the book of Genesis next Sunday morning. Uh, and so this Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and finish out Genesis together. Next Sunday, we'll begin in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 50, Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15, which is actually going to be your Bible reading for next Sunday morning. As you're turning there, let me just give you a couple of things by way of announcement. Uh, undoubtedly by now, everybody is aware, but we have postponed um, uh, life groups or we've put a hold on life groups uh, temporarily, at least until February, so we'll let you know something toward the end of the month. Just as the number of cases rise in our community and across the country, we believed it would be wise to not do anything that could um, uh, help to spread this further and put greater strain on our hospital system. So uh, that is on hold. We are continuing to do Wednesday night for children and for youth. We're able to do that spread out and distanced. So that's at 6 o'clock. We do have a prayer service at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. So uh, just be aware, uh, I said Sunday mornings, at 10 o'clock on Wednesday mornings, we have a prayer meeting for those of you who would like to come. It's not, uh, it's, it's a small crowd, so we can spread out very well in the sanctuary. And then um, two weeks from today, we're going to do another bonfire. We did that one back at the beginning of December. We're going to do another one of those around back. We're going to do a little bit different, start a little bit earlier, do it kind of like we did our our tailgates during the summer. So if you want to bring a, a you know tailgate dinner for your family, you want to bring your grill, whatever you want to do, but we'll have a bonfire and we'll have s'mores and all that other stuff. We can do all those things outdoors and, and uh, maintain a good level of, of, of health safety. All right, having said all of that, we're in Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. I'm going to read beginning in verse 15. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you will have your way with us this morning. Speak to us. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. God will have his way. This morning, the question I want us to wrestle with is simple. What is our duty? The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is our duty? As I uh, prepared this morning to preach, I sent out uh, to some preacher friends of mine a text that said this. It said, Be strong and courageous, men. An awkward time in our country, but a day well suited to preach the gospel of truth to people who may not be well versed in parsing truth from falsehood. What a week we've had. Just as we had begun to believe that 2020 was moving into the rearview mirror, 2021 steps up to the challenge. I'm not sure if we've entered a new year, if this is... December of 2020. I'm not sure where we are, but the week has been challenging. Not only am I appalled and heartbroken, I am genuinely confused and concerned. Even though I try to style myself an educated and informed man, I must admit that I have until now downplayed the role that lies and conspiracy theories play in our society. I'm most saddened by the fact that I'm seeing these sorts of conspiracy theories pasted on social media walls alongside Bible verses by those who claim to be followers of Christ. Here at Malvern Hill, we like to say that we love God, love others, and seek to change the world. All of those things require a commitment to truth, true truth, not conspiracy theories. What we see happening in the church today is not new. And I think it's important that we realize that. Those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it as we've learned through the years. The heresy that we see invading our church is as old as the church itself. New Testament writers warned of those who claim to have knowledge, knowledge, special knowledge, in places like 1 Timothy 6 and in 1 John. It warned of those who professed a higher level of understanding. In the second century, this false religion would become known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis or gnosis, which means knowledge. The, the crux of the Gnostic religion was built upon lies and conspiracy theories that Christianity had been corrupted and co-opted. What was really needed within the second century church, according to the followers of Gnosticism, was a special knowledge of the real truth about what was really going on behind the scenes. Reminds me of somebody who walked into our church office one day and looked at us and said, I know what's really going on in this place. That was a long time ago, for the record. <clears throat> So there was this special knowledge, and, and as a result of this special knowledge, you could rise to a higher level. And the church began to be divided as a result of this heresy into JV Christians, 
as some would argue, and these varsity-level Christians who had been exposed to this special knowledge that told them about what was really going on in the world around them. Christians were those who worshipped Jesus. Gnostics were those who really knew what was going on. Gnosticism proper was limited to a short span in the history of the church. But the spirit of Gnosticism has lived on throughout the history of the Christian church. There's always been a desire for people to feel like they have a closer line to God, a direct line, if you will, to arise to that varsity level. There's been a desire for people to feel like they have a unique understanding that no one else has and then the need to pass that along. We've seen this, for instance, at times, not only in what we're looking at politically with this crazy QAnon stuff and crazy conspiracy theories. We've seen this at the church, in the church at, with the debates over Calvinism and Arminianism, for instance. At times, in the midst of those heated debates, people would say something that was really boneheaded and uncaring, like, I'm going to pray for the Lord to give you a deeper understanding so that you'll come into line with my belief systems. Folks, that's arrogance is what that is. We see the uglier sides of Gnosticism at play among the religious right today. There is a group of people who claim to have secret and particular knowledge about some sort of secret government conspiracy that is only made known through social media channels and dark web information drops. Some of you are going, Craig, why in the world are you talking about this? What about other blah, blah, blah? I'm talking about this because this is happening within evangelical churches. I'm talking about this because when it's, when it's happening in our backyard, we need to look in the mirror instead of pointing fingers. I'm talking about it because I've been here for 13 years and I'm comfortable and safe as your pastor. And a lot of guys who have been in places for six months or 12 months or 18 months would be terrified to bring these things up out of fear that they would be run out of the church. <clears throat> the argument coming from these places speaks to the number of secret truths that the government's hiding from us. And it's a monumental number, according to some. COVID-19 is not real. There are secret Satan-worshipping pedophiles who are running a sex trafficking ring and plotting against Donald Trump. And as crazy as that sounds for me to say, that is actually the belief of people. If you want to know if what you believe is true, sometimes you just need to say it out loud and try to determine whether or not it sounds like it could possibly be true. Do we talk about UFOs in Area 51? As followers of Jesus, we have a commitment to truth, true truth. And when we begin to trust in conspiracy theories and lies, we live on dangerous ground. Even when or if those conspiracy theories might feel good to us. Do you understand? Because if we don't peddle in true truth, we have no foundation to stand upon when we seek to proclaim to people the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would anyone believe that we're telling the truth about Jesus if we don't tell the truth about other things? There are particular tests for truth. Tests for truth would be authority. For instance, does somebody who know, should know what in the world they're talking about believe these things? Coherence, does it make sense? Does it, does it cohere? Coherence and adhesion are two different things, right? If you've got a Band-Aid, a Band-Aid adheres to your skin. So that's the practice of something sticking to something else. 
So adhesion is one thing, but coherence is the ability of something to stick to itself. So when you take that Band-Aid and you fold it over on top of itself, you know how hard it is to rip that Band-Aid off your skin and how bad that hurts? You ever stick one together and then try to pull it apart? You can't do it because its cohesive properties are actually greater than its adhesive properties. And so when we think about whether or not something is true, we need to wrestle with the cohesive nature of this particular ideology. When you begin to stick it all together, does it make sense? The correspondence theory, which would say, does it correspond with reality? Right? I, I, I have children, and children are fantastic about doing some particular things. Like on cold days like today, always one, two, or all four of my kids will say something like, I don't need a coat. You parents are laughing because your children do the same thing. I don't need a coat. Angel and I used to argue with our children, get a coat. We don't do that anymore. Here's what we do. We, we, we force them to wrestle with the correspondence, correspondence nature of truth. You say, Craig, you have these philosophy discussions? No! We send them outside and lock the door. We let them back in. But you know what we find out? We discover that when our sweet little angels go outside in short sleeves and spend about 35 or 40 seconds in 28 degree weather, they come back in and they say, I'll put a coat on. The worst test for truth, however, is emotions. Emotions are a terrible test for truth because when I rely on my emotions, I only affirm those things to be true that feel good. You say, Craig, what in the world does any of this have to do with what we're talking about this morning? At one point in time, Ideas that were relegated to the fringes of our society uh, were just there. But the fringe has invaded the fray. And as a people of Jesus, it's time that we stood up and said enough is enough. We will be committed to God's truth and God's ways. We will resist the temptation of social media to divide and scream. We will resist the push of the media into differing camps. We will cease to allow our different political ideas to define us. We will repent of the idolatry of trusting in politicians to save us. We will redouble our efforts to love God, love our neighbor, and change the world around us. But that isn't easy because this world isn't always comfortable and it doesn't always seem fair. This world isn't home. So we shouldn't be surprised when it doesn't feel that way. Which is why it's a good thing that today we are studying Joseph. Joseph knew something about unfair. Joseph knew something about being dealt a bad hand. But regardless of where Joseph was, God was still in control. God hadn't forgotten Joseph. And God's plan had not been thwarted. God's plans in our country and our world, and you ready for this? And in your life have not been undone by anything that happened in 2017, 2018, 2019, or 2020. God's plans have not been undone for your life, for our country, for anybody else in the world by anything that happened so far in 2021. And let me tell you that until the Lord returns, there is nothing that will take place on this earth that will thwart God's plans. God will have his way. So what is your duty in a world that doesn't feel like home? In a world where, as somebody asked me the other day, they said, Craig, how do we know what truth is? As followers of Jesus, should we not run back to the Bible when those questions begin to arise? Because there was one who questioned truth. 
nearly 2,000 years ago as Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? The irony there is that Pilate was staring in the face of truth. And yet he was still confused because Pilate was chained to an ideology. Pilate was chained to the worship of Caesar. And as a result, Pilate could not recognize truth when it stared him in the face. What is your duty this morning? I don't want to jump straight to Joseph or, or, or to jump to Genesis 50 before we can kind of recount some of the story that you're going to experience this week. Life, life is hard, and, and sometimes your life is hard, and, and often when life gets hard, we're looking for a reason, right? We, we're looking for a reason. So I urge you to endure suffering, but you're sitting around going, endure suffering, Craig. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've gone through. And you're right, I don't know. And you're looking for reasons, but folks, there might not be a reason. So when we come to the story of Joseph, his life had been hard. Now, at least in Joseph's case, he could say, my brothers did this. My brothers did this. You know the story. So in your reading this week, you're going you're gonna to encounter all, all sorts of, 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 of wild stories. Stories of people that, that though they were called by God to be God's people, didn't always honor the Lord. Stories uh, that are interspersed with, with, um, with, with treachery. You know, Joseph has these older brothers, and they're jealous of Joseph because his father was also in sin because he showed favoritism to this younger son. Parents, be wary that you don't show favoritism to your children and breed this kind of contempt. But there the story, as you're aware, Joseph uh, early on is, is set apart as a prophet of God. God gives him a vision, but Joseph is an arrogant young man. Joseph doesn't sort of keep that to himself and weave the, the, carefully about how it is he would comp, com, uh, share that. Instead, Joseph walks down the steps, as it were, looks at his brother and goes, I had a dream last night. You boys are going to bow down to me. It's going to be great. Looks at his mom and dad and says, get ready to worship at the feet of Joseph. You can imagine that uh, the favorite son that's hearing these things uh, or that's sharing these things with the brothers that already don't care for him further uh, is alienated. And as a result, uh, as the, the time goes by, the Bible tells us that Joseph's brothers encounter him out in the wilderness away from his dad. He comes out to check on tending the sheep. Uh, the brothers plot together to kill him. The older brother says, let's not kill him. We don't want his blood on our hands. How about we just throw him in a hole? And his idea was, I'll come back later and I'll pick him up and, and things will be all right. But instead, uh, what they ended up doing is they threw him in a hole and they kept him there until some traders came by, uh, a caravan of traders, and they sold Joseph as a slave. And the story t teaches us that Joseph went from being this slave to being sold as a slave in Egypt to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a powerful man in Egypt with many servants. Uh, but Joseph rose to the, to the occasion in that place. But the Bible says that after a while, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph. Potiphar's wife had an interest in Joseph, and Potiphar's wife said, Hey, Joseph, why don't you come and, and uh, spend some quality time with me? Joseph, the Bible says, uh, said, No, no, no. And finally one day, Potiphar's wife grabs him and says, You come with me. And Joseph leaves his clothes and runs out, streaking through the Bible. Potiphar's wife, not to be embarrassed by this servant boy, holds on to his cloak and says to Potiphar when he returns, look at what this servant of yours did. He sought to take advantage of me. The Bible says that as a result of that, Joseph was thrown into a different sort of pit. There he was in prison. 
you might not be able to point to the people that did these things to you, but Joseph was able to look back and say, my brother did this for me. So there's a temptation on our parts when we can't find a reason to try to find a scapegoat. When life gets hard, we need someone or something to blame. And this is where we find Joseph in this pit of despair, needing someone to blame. And yet at the end of his life, when the opportunity comes for him to finally have his revenge, Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph endured suffering. We must resist the temptation to look for a scapegoat to blame for everything that goes wrong in our life. 2 Timothy chapter 3 urges us to share in suffering, or in some translations, to endure suffering. Share in suffering or endure. Timothy wasn't to find someone to blame. Timothy was just a soldier on. And folks, let me urge you, as followers of Jesus Christ, there come times in our life when our responsibility is not to find someone to blame, but simply to find someone to walk with, someone to suffer with, to run to Jesus who is our salvation to cast our burdens onto him because he cares for us what do we do when life is hard what is our duty when the world doesn't go the way that we want folks our number one duty in that moment as followers of jesus the first step is to endure suffering like a good soldier of christ now why does it say like a good soldier why does paul use that imagery Ancient warf- warfare is still ugly. Many, many of uh, our soldiers and retired soldiers in our, our congregation would attest to that. War is ugly and nasty. But ancient warfare was even worse. In, in, in the ancient world, many soldiers, most soldiers, in fact, in many wars, didn't die in combat. combat. They died from exposure and disease. We've got stories of soldiers going to battle without shoes. Stories of soldiers going to battle without coats. And this is not uh, an ancient thing. These things happened at least as recently as the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. These things happened in our own country. Soldiers going to battle ill-prepared. In World War I, the stories of, of, uh, of those who, who, who contracted what was trench foot at that time, infections in their feet because of the water that would pool up in the trenches and trench warfare there. Endure suffering as a soldier because soldiers don't have cushy jobs. As a follower of Jesus Christ, life is not always going to be roses. And yet, the Apostle Paul says that we are to endure suffering. And we look at the life of Joseph. He's a man that endured suffering. The second thing this morning, what is our duty, is I've never used this. I I wrote it down and I I erased it, then wrote it again. Because it just sounds a little frou-frou for a a point in my sermon. But it just works. The second thing we need to do is bloom where we are planted. Bloom where you are planted. I'm going to give you a, 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 a secret snapshot into my life many years ago. Some years ago, and this has been, I don't know, six, eight years ago. It had to have been at least six years ago. Um, I, I really struggled in my ministry. I, I, I believed that God was calling us to a different ministry post, but I, I didn't know where or when. I called on many people to pray. Many of you in this church prayed with me during that, uh, those hard days. I, I reached out to friends and to mentors. I really, at times, felt like I was suffering. Now, I wasn't. 
That's important, right? Sometimes we can feel like we're suffering when we're not. I felt like I was suffering, and it was tempting to try to find someone to blame. In fact, a friend who knew that I was suffering wanted to help me. A friend that knew I was struggling. And in his effort to help me, he did something that many of us have tried to do. He said something unintelligent because he didn't know what else to say. Y'all ever done that when you go through like the receiving line at the funeral home? You say something like, well, I know they're better off. Don't ever say that to a grieving widow. But this friend who knew I was having a hard time said this to me, Craig, I don't know why your abilities and gifts are being wasted in a place like that. Those were the words I needed to hear. You'll be very happy, friends, to know that that was exactly what snapped me out of my problem. I quickly told him that this, this place was my home and that these people were my friends and that that place that he didn't understand why I would be at was the place that God had put me and that God didn't waste anything on the people of Malvern Hill Baptist Church and in Camden, South Carolina. He ticked me off. Sometimes I need to get a little mad before I can figure out what in the world I'm supposed to do. But I also need to be reminded in those days that I was to bloom where I was planted. Some of the people that had better, better advice for me said, Craig, until you know what God's plan is for you, just know that his plan is that right where you are right now is for you to serve him with everything that you've got. Folks, are you in a hard place today? Look, many of us are. We're in this awkward place in our country right now. And I would be remiss as your pastor if I didn't talk about it. Without a doubt, there will be somebody, whether you're here in person or watching online, that will say, I can't believe he brought all those politics up in his sermon. Folks, there is no way that I could preach to the current moment in our world without referencing it. It is the craziness that we're all living in. And what do we do? Stick our head in the sand, hope it goes away? Run away? No. We bloom right where we are planted. Where are you today? Where are you physically, spiritually, emotionally? Are you in a dead-end job? Are you depressed? Do you feel like you're in a hole? Joseph was in a real hole. Twice. In a hole. His brothers throw him in a hole. And then as if that's bad enough, a little while later, some other guy throws him in a hole. We know that he was in a, a, a dungeon prison because later when, he's when he comes out, they have to pull him up out of it. He's down in a hole. Yet they're in prison. They're in those holes. Joseph did all he could to help others and to make a difference. What happened? Some guy's sitting around. The guy has some dreams. I don't know what to do. Joseph could have just ran to his corner and said, forget those guys. I'm in this hole. God put me here. My brothers put me here. Potiphar put me here. God just let me die. They didn't do that, did he? The Bible says that in that place, when other people were in a, in a bad spot, Joseph stepped forward. The Lord had given him a gift, given him the ability to interpret these dreams, and God gave Joseph these interpretations and the Bible says that when he had the opportunity that Joseph interpreted the dream for these, these two officials of Pharaoh. And then he looks at him and says, listen, I'd appreciate if y'all would remember me. I'd appreciate if you remember me when you're restored. And we know that that happened, right? Yay, Joseph got out of prison and everything was happy. 
But you got to read that one verse that you forgot. After two years, Pharaoh had a dream. Two years. Joseph was in a hole. And there in prison, he did all he could do. But after he did it, God left him in that hole for two more years. Why? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know all of the reasons. But I know that there was a reason, there was a need that God had to leave Joseph in the school of that prison for two more years so that Joseph could be the man that God wanted him to be. There are these crazy stories that come out of communist China where the church, if you've ever read Nick Ripkin's work, the church in China, you'll have pastors regularly say things like, that guy can't be trusted. Why don't we trust him? He said, because he's not been to prison yet. In China, where there is not access to widespread theological education, Christian pastors and Christian leaders receive their education in prisons. And there in those Chinese prisons, the Christian believers get thrown in together. And as the Chinese government tries to overwhelm them and punish them for their Christian beliefs, what actually happens is that the Christian people, God's people, use those deep, dark places for God's purposes. And they bloom in the places where God's planted them. And there in the dark, lights are kindled and the gospel is proclaimed and it goes forth in power. God had used Joseph to interpret dreams. God had even given Joseph a dream, a vision of the future when he was a young boy. But Joseph was still this arrogant young man. Perhaps there in the school of that Egyptian prison, Joseph needed to be humbled, to be reminded that these were God's plans and these were God's ways and they were not Joseph's ways. Bloom where you're planted. God has a purpose for you in this place. Whatever place it is. Maybe the place that you're struggling with is just the place that we all share right now. The place of uncertainty and confusion. Maybe yours is a particularly personal place. Maybe it's, it's a place of depression or sickness or struggle or strife. For goodness sakes, here in an age of COVID, for many of you, it's a place of loneliness. And yet God's allowed you to be in that place. Why? Because God's got a purpose for you in that place. Now we look forward. We know that the sorrow doesn't last, only last for the night and that joy comes with the morning. And we celebrate the joy when it arrives. But in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the hardship, endure suffering, and then bloom right where you are. One of my commitments for 2021 has been that I would be productive in different sorts of ways. One of the things that happened as a result of all of the, the shutdowns for 2020, I, I, I'm not able to visit hospitals. I'm not able to make lots of visits. There are things that... I would traditionally do that I'm not done and I can look back and I, I, I can see that there have been some of that time that I, has re, that I have redeemed but there was some, some of that other time that hit me like a, a, a brick and it, it just sort of sat heavy 
And for 2021, I only made three um, uh, New Year's resolutions. And two of them were things I did in 2020. So there's only one that I got to do something different for. And that is to take the, 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 the time that was created in my life by COVID shutdowns and to repurpose them. I might not have these. I won't have this forever. The time's going to come when I'm going to be at hospitals again, praying with those of you having surgery and visiting those of you in, in ICU rooms. The time will come when I'm, I'm back in, in, in schools or, or wherever and I'm doing all these other things. And in that time, I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, what did I do? I want to bloom right here where I'm planted. And you should too. And then third this morning, trust God for the outcome. The reading this week is challenging. It, it is. The, the Bible reading, it's challenging. and it's, it's not challenging from a literary perspective. It's challenging because there are stories that are hard to stomach. The story of Judah and Tamar is stuck in there. And if, if you haven't gotten there yet, you're going to be reading, 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 and then boom, just out of nowhere, there's this story of Judah and Tamar. And it seems like it has no coherence with the rest of the biblical story. until you get all the way to the book of Matthew. See, God's playing the long game here, folks. God's playing the long game. He tells us the story of Judah and Tamar, and we wonder about that for a couple thousand years until Jesus comes onto the scene. Do you understand this? We get Judah and Tamar again in Matthew there as we read the genealogy of Jesus. And there in the genealogy of Jesus, we find Judah, Tamar, and their twin children. The children of their indiscretion is included in the genealogy of the Savior of the world. <laughs> what? You understand that if somebody were creating a Messiah story out of whole cloth, they wouldn't insert a story of a woman who was wronged by her father-in-law who then deceived her father-in-law so that that father-in-law would lie with her and she would receive children from her father-in-law. That story wouldn't be included because it doesn't look real good until we step back and we understand that God planted that story 2,000 years prior right in the middle of the genealogy of the Savior of the world so that we could all understand that He's the Savior for all of us. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who has wronged you. He is the Savior for all of us. You're going to read Judah and Tamar and go, why is that in here? That doesn't fit. Trust God for the outcome. He's got a plan and a purpose. When we read the Bible, some of its perplexing or even confusing parts are hard for us. But we must trust God for the outcome. And that brings us back to Genesis chapter 50 in verse 15. Sorry, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The story of Joseph <clears throat> continues on. After he's been sold into the house of Potiphar, 
The Bible teaches us that he, he goes to prison, he interprets dreams for these two men. One of the men is actually killed by Pharaoh, the other is restored to his position. And then two years after Joseph interprets these dreams, Pharaoh has a dream about some fat cows and some lean cows. It's one of those stories that's really easy to do children's messages about because you can draw really cool pictures. And there are two stories about fat cows and lean cows. And Pharaoh says, I've had these dreams. I need somebody to tell me what they mean. And, of course, none of his pagan followers have any clue. And this one guy says, hey, I'm going to tell you what. I, I had this dude in prison. Imagine what, how this works, right? So this cupbearer to the king who's already not been in Pharaoh's good graces one time before with fear and trembling goes to Pharaoh and says, look, I know you got this dream. And, I, and Pharaoh says, well, you want to tell me about it? He says, man, I don't know, but I know a guy. Oh, you know a guy. I know a guy. Well, tell me about this guy. Well, he's in prison. What? Think about this. This story's nuts. This dude's in prison. Why is he in prison? Well, it turns out there was this Potiphar guy, you know, his wife. And Pharaoh's like, look, pull him up, shave him, dress him, bring him in here. Let's give him a shot. Pharaoh's desperate for answers at this point. Joseph walks in. Joseph says, oh, fat cows, lean cows, no big deal. I got this. It's going to be seven good years and then seven bad years. And if I were you, I'd get my head in the game and prepare for the seven lean years that are ahead of us. As we continue to progress, what we discover is that Pharaoh is so overwhelmed and amazed by Joseph's interpretation of this dream. And Pharaoh says, I'm going to tell you what, you're the man. You're the one that's going to be in charge of gleaning all that's necessary for the next seven years so that we can be prepared for the seven lean years. And Joseph does that. In the course of time, Joseph's father and his brothers, all of his siblings and their, their spouses and their children, his whole extended family is affected by this famine. It's a, it's a regional famine. And his father says, I've heard that there's bread in Egypt. Boys, I need you to go to Egypt and get us something to eat or we're going to starve to death. This isn't like running to Chick-fil-A. They got to go. So Joseph's brothers pack all their stuff. They take a journey down to Egypt and they present themselves before this official of Pharaoh and they say, hey, we've come and we are hungry. Well, they don't recognize Joseph, but the minute they walk in the door, Joseph recognizes them as they bow before him. And Joseph knows in this moment that God's prophecy has been fulfilled. Long story short, Joseph plays with them for a little while, which you got to appreciate, right? I mean, honestly, Joseph could have just been like, oh, it's good to see you guys. Let me give you what you need. But Joseph monkeys around with them a little bit. There's a couple of tests involved. But Joseph takes care of them. He makes sure they're fed. Then he orchestrates a plan so that he can meet all of his brothers because all the brothers didn't come. He wants to meet his youngest brother. He wants to see Benjamin. And the Bible says that they return. Finally, Joseph is so overwhelmed that he can't hold it in anymore. And he says, I am your brother Joseph. Now, if Pharaoh looked upon the cupbearer and went, uh, really, a guy in prison, surely at this point these brothers looked up at their brother who had risen to this position of power and remembered that dream and thought, oh, we're dead. But they weren't. The Bible says that Joseph went to Pharaoh and said, my, my father's household, all of my family are hungry and they want to move to Egypt. I want to move them here. And Joseph works out a plan to get them moved into the land of Goshen where they can be shepherds and herders. And the Bible says that everything trucks along just fine for a little while, and then Joseph's father dies, Jacob. And it's, it's at the death of Jacob that we pick up in chapter 50. 
to the death of Jacob because his brothers get together, good conspiracy theorists that they are, and they say, there's a, there's a bigger story here that nobody else knew about. He's only brought us here because he's going to kill us. And he's just been biding his time. And he was waiting until our father died. And when our father died, that's going to set him free. And he's brought us here and watched us multiply so that he can kill not only us, but everybody. He's got us all. We've fallen right into his trap. And so they devise a lie. And they go to Joseph and they say, look, Joe, Joey, brother. You know we've always loved you. Ah, that, that whole pit thing. Let's just... It's, it's water under the bridge, right? We're, you're not going to hold that against us. And even if you wanted to, we just want you to know that our father, before he died, you weren't there, but there was a secret meeting. And he gathered us all together and he said, Listen, boys, the one thing I want to make sure that Joseph understands is I, I want y'all to all get along. I don't want him to hold this against you. And yeah, y'all made a little mistake, but y'all... <laughs> Good parent. Y'all were just running with the bad crowd. Y'all were just falling in with the wrong crowd. Parent, side note, if you keep saying your kid's falling in with the wrong crowd for the last 10 years, your kid is the wrong crowd. We got to get them our way, okay? And it's in this moment that Joseph, mildly offended, looks at these brothers. Who do you think I am? This isn't in my sermon notes, but I'm just going to throw this out there just for a moment. Perhaps Joseph looks at his brothers and said, have you not listened to me one time? Have you assumed that everything I said was a lie? Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to trust our brothers and sisters at their word. We need to take our brothers and sisters at their word. Joseph says, look, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to banish you. You meant harm for me. You meant it for evil. But there was a larger plan at play. And it wasn't a government conspiracy theory. He says, God was behind the scenes orchestrating these things. And you meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. And as a result of what you did, God brought good things out. And God has fed these many people. And the world didn't starve to death. Yes, you sinned. But no, I'm not going to kill you. Because just as God had a bigger plan for me, Joseph says, I'm going to trust that God's got a plan in all of this. Where does that leave us? What is our duty? We are to live as people of God, period. We are to live as people of God, period. We are to look so different from the world that the world would think we are strange and weird. You say, Craig, that wasn't in the passage. Of course it was. Any other Middle Eastern ruler of the day would have massacred those who had opposed him. And yet Joseph extends grace. 
because Joseph is a man of God and is willing to be seen as such. You know what Joseph's friends no doubt would have said about him? You're weak. You don't see the bigger thing at play. You're soft. If you're going to be a ruler, then you've got to be a big, strong ruler. And Joseph says, God meant it for evil. Or you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I'm going to trust him with the outcome. What is our responsibility? What is our duty? Endure suffering. Bloom where you are planted. And trust God for the outcome. That's not going to fit very well into a political party or a social media platform. But it fits perfectly within biblical Christianity. And it is exactly where God has called you to be. This morning, the invitation is simple. Are you willing to trust God in the midst of whatever chaos you find yourself in? Are you willing to endure suffering? Are are, are you willing to make the most out of whatever situation you're in, to bloom right where God's planted you? And are you willing to trust Him for the outcome? To do so is going to mean that you've got to shut your mouth a lot. To do so is going to mean that not everybody's going to understand or agree with you. To do so is going to mean that you might not always be popular. But to do so is to honor Christ. And that is our greatest call. Will you fulfill your duty today by submitting to Christ and trusting Him with your life? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we can even do that when the world is burning around us if we will commit to Him first and only. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you be with us today. Help us to trust you above all else. Give us the faith and the courage of Joseph. God, a man who sought you, oh God, I pray that we could have that kind of faith. Be with us as we sing. Be honored and glorified through these words in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us this morning. And as we sing this morning, um, I'll be right up here. Pastor Buster, Pastor Adams might be inside. Perhaps this morning you need somebody to pray with you. It could be that, that, that in all honesty, some of you just need to repent of your worldly ideas and fall on Jesus. Maybe some of you who recognize that you need Jesus today for salvation, that you need to be set free and saved from this world. Wherever you are, we'd love to pray with you. Thank you. Let's sing together.